You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Good morning. So good to be with you today. Uh, as I said a couple weeks ago, I, I just look forward all week to getting to be with you on Sunday, and I'm glad to be with you, uh, many in person and some also online. So welcome uh, to you all. Thanks for being here today. We love to get together and study God's Word. Uh, we love to sing His praises, and Lord willing, we'll be able to do so soon. We're just waiting to hear uh, if now is, uh, well, or next week is the time, and we pray it will be. But we'll uh, study Lord's Word together from the book of Luke today. Uh, and let's, uh, let's begin uh, in chapter 22 in just a moment, so have your Bibles open there uh, if you have your Bible with you today. Jim, your, your words for the Lord's Supper uh, fit together with uh, what I'm going to say very nicely uh, from very different angles. Jim talked about uh, our relationship with God and how Jesus has appeared before God for us, those two words, for us. And so he covered uh, our relationship with God as we share the Lord's Supper together, what that, the, the sharing of the bread and the cup means to us there. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I'd like to talk about our relationships with one another and how those are affected by our sharing in the Lord's Supper. When we share in the body and blood of Jesus, as we have just done, the way we relate to one another is transformed. It's changed. Because our sharing in his body and blood reminds us that we follow Jesus and therefore our lives are to be modeled after his life and conformed to obedience to his teachings. Several years ago, I heard uh, one of my favorite preachers ever since I was just a boy, uh, a man named Don McLaughlin. He's senior minister now at the at, uh, North Atlanta Church of Christ in Georgia. I heard him tell this story. I've heard it a couple of times, but it's been a while, so forgive me if I get some of the details mixed up. Don says that before he became a Christian, so emphasis on before he became a Christian, while he was a student at Harding University, same university where I went and Jenny went, we met each other there, uh, he met a beautiful Christian girl. He was interested in her and wanted to win her affection. He thought about how could he go about doing that. The problem was she already had a boyfriend from the church back home. But... He came up with a plan. Somehow, I, I don't recall how, he discovered that her boyfriend had sent her a package. And he intercepted that package before she knew about it. And he opened it, can you imagine? And he found a large stuffed animal inside. He took that stuffed animal out. He did away with the rest of the package. And he gave her that stuffed animal from himself. And I guess it worked because they dated and they got married. They're still married today. They've raised a family together. But then, some years after that happened, and well after Don had become a Christian, had repented of all of his sin, including that part, they were visiting her parents back at her home church. They, they went to church on Sunday, and someone asked Don to help serve communion. And so he was willing, and, and uh, as he was passing the trays, remember when we used to pass the trays? 
yeah, as he was passing the trays, uh, the, the bread, he uh, came to this one row where there was a certain person sitting there. You might guess who. It was that old boyfriend. And here he has to hand the bread that represents the body of Jesus to the boyfriend he offended some years earlier. And so the way he tells the story, in that instant, he made eye, eye contact with the guy, and I don't remember if he kind of whispered something or whatever, but he, he just checked it out. Is this okay for us to be sharing the body and blood of Jesus together after what I did to you? Well, by this time, the old boyfriend himself was happily married, and he indicated that, yeah, everything was fine. There had been forgiveness, and there had been healing. And they shared the body and blood of the Lord together in the bread and the cup. You know, that can happen in the church. We can have forgiveness. We can have healing. Our relationships are transformed because of the body and the blood of Jesus. When we share in the body and blood of Jesus, if we take Jesus' sacrifice seriously, it transforms our relationships with each other. So I'd like us to read the story of the Last Supper together from the book of Luke as we're coming pretty near the end of the Gospel of Luke now. We'll have two more lessons. We'll finish up on Easter Sunday here in a couple of weeks. I'd like us to read about this meal that we call the Last Supper. It's the model and the uh, source for the Lord's Supper that we share together every Sunday. This meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. I'll point out a few things along the way, and then we'll go back and we'll consider how Jesus' example and teaching at this meal shape how our relationships with one another ought to look if we share in the body and the blood of Jesus. So let's start in Luke 22 and verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, <clears throat> one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. This is the beginning of Jesus' suffering as Judas Iscariot agrees to betray Jesus to the Jewish authorities who want Jesus dead and gone. Let's continue verse 7. We'll come back to Judas in a minute. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you 
before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. We share the Lord's Supper together because Jesus, as he shared the bread and the cup with his disciples, told them, do this in remembrance of me. Luke's account of the Last Supper is unusual in Scripture. We have four uh, tellings of the story of the Last Supper uh, in Luke and in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. The other three accounts only tell of the bread and the cup. But Luke gives an extra cup, cup and then bread and then cup again. Uh, There were actually four cups of wine shared in the Passover meal. When Luke mentions two of them, not just one, he reminds us this is the Passover meal. He's just giving us a snapshot of some of what happened in it. Well, the Passover meal was an annual celebration of God's deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt over a thousand years before the time of Jesus, back in the time of Moses. Jesus gave part of the Passover meal a new meaning. He gave this celebration new significance. He linked the body to, uh, he linked the bread to his body, which would be given for us on the cross. And he linked the cup to his blood that would be poured out for us on the cross. And so where the Passover recalled how God had saved Israel from slavery, the Lord's Supper recalls how Jesus' sacrifice of his body and blood saves us from God's judgment. This was a sacred moment. The institution of this new meal in memory of Jesus' sacrifice. But in this sacred moment, Jesus predicts that someone at the table with him is going to betray him. He doesn't say who it is, but he knows who it is. He knows that it's Judas. He knows what Judas is planning to do. And yet, even though Jesus knows what's going to happen, knows who will do it, knows how it will come about, he doesn't try to stop Judas. He doesn't even hate Judas. Jesus shares the bread and the cup with Judas too. Judas is right there at the table. Jesus says, the hand of my betrayer is with mine on the table. And yet Jesus shares with him the sacred bread and cup. Then the apostles in verse 23 begin to question which of them it is that Jesus is talking about who is going to betray Jesus. They, they want to figure, it out, figure out who it is. And that discussion seems to lead into an argument about which of them is the greatest. Look what happens next. Verse 24. 
A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The apostles' conversation moved from trying to guess who the betrayer was to arguing about which of them was the greatest. Well, how did that happen? I don't know, but I have a theory. I imagine, it's just my imagination, I imagine that first they start guessing who the traitor is. And then they move into making accusations. Oh, it's you. It's him. It's him. And then the accused begin defending themselves. It's not me. And they lay out their credentials to prove that they're less likely to betray Jesus than the next guy is. And and then that becomes a dispute over whose credentials are really the best. And who is the greatest? Who are the rightful leaders in the group? And who ought to be above suspicion? Just a guess as to how this came about. Jesus corrects his apostles. And then he promises them a kingdom, the right to eat and drink at his table and to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They didn't need to argue about which of them was the greatest because in Christ's eternal kingdom, those who stood by him in his trials, these 12 apostles minus the one who will betray him, will all enjoy great authority and high esteem. Now, there are three places in this story where Jesus' example and teaching shape our relationships with each other. First, Jesus and his disciples ate together. Eating together is to share life together. When you eat together, you actually are saying to the other person, I support the fact that you exist and are alive. And I am glad that you have nourishment and I want you to be fed and sustained so that you can live. And you you express that, that you're grateful to get to spend time together around the same table. The other person is important to you. When you take the time to eat with someone, you communicate that your relationship with them is important to you, whether you know them well or or have just met. Jesus told his apostles in verse 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. A little bit of emphasis maybe on with you. Jesus wanted fellowship with them. He didn't want to eat alone. And then Jesus told them later that one day, They would get to eat and drink at his table in his kingdom. They would eat together. Again, this would not be the last time. But in Christ's kingdom, they would eat together at his table. 
The fellowship of eating together is important to Jesus. Now, we haven't been able to do much eating together over the past year. Very little, in fact, except for those of us who are gathered together in person, able to share in the bread and the cup, and others online sharing uh, from a distance with us. But think about what this principle of eating together means for how we experience the Lord's Supper. Jesus shared the bread and the cup with his apostles in the course of a meal as they reclined together at the table sharing fellowship. The early church, we know, did the same. There are hints of that in Scripture, and it's very clear in the writings of the early church uh, after the time of the New Testament. The early church also, uh, when they shared the bread and the cup each week, they actually ate a whole meal together. Somewhere in about the first three or so centuries of the church, the meal was whittled down to just a bite of bread and a cup. And that's the tradition we've inherited. And I think we've lost something there, but we've kept the most important part, and that is the celebration and remembering of the body and blood of Jesus. And for that, I'm grateful. But I wonder if maybe we shouldn't try to regain some of the sense of fellowship that came with the full meal experience back in the early days of the church when they shared their weekly meal together and that day when Jesus reclined at the table with his apostles. Maybe even just a sense when we eat the bread and drink from the cup that what we're doing isn't only about me and God, just, just us, but it's also about me and my brothers and sisters in Christ with whom I share the body and the blood of Jesus around the table of the Lord, so to speak. Because Jesus' sacrifice isn't just for me, it's for every one of us. And so the bread and the cup ought to remind us that we are one family in Christ, all bought with the blood and the body of Jesus. And not to remind us that these people sharing the Lord's Supper with us here and across the city and across the nation, around the world, they're important to us. We are all connected in Christ. We are one body. We are the family of God. And that thought, as we share the Lord's Supper together, ought to make my heart sensitive to my brothers and sisters in the Lord so that I grow in love for each person as I eat the bread and drink the cup, as I share in this meal that the Lord instituted for us. A second way that Jesus communicates the significance of his body and blood for our relationships in this text. Jesus did not hate Judas. You know, just let that sink in for a minute. Jesus did not hate Judas. He, he just, he didn't. He warned Judas, yes. He said, the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. I will do what God wants me to do. But woe to that man who betrays him. So he warned Judas because Judas will have to face God's judgment for what he has done. But Jesus didn't hate him. He didn't scream at him. He didn't do anything to harm him or even stop him. Jesus instead showed him kindness, showed him mercy. Mercy that Judas did not by any means deserve. Now, Judas will have to face God's judgment, but at that moment, Jesus, for his part, showed mercy. 
and shared with him the sacred bread and cup. I mean, at the same meal in John chapter 13, Jesus identifies Judas by name to Peter and one other uh, apostle, probably John. He quietly just, uh, uh, you know, in a sort of hidden way, uh, subtly tells them exactly who it is that's going to betray him. I'm sorry, not by name, but hands him, hands him some, some bread and indicates that he's the one. Jesus knows exactly who's, who his betrayer will be, but he shows Judas mercy. Even when Judas does, in fact, betray Jesus later that night, Jesus does not speak harshly to him at all, but only speaks from a heart of sorrow. I think Jesus' example here ought to remind us whenever we share the Lord's Supper that Christ has called us to treat our enemies better than they deserve. We must not do harm to those who harm us because Jesus didn't. We must not hate even those who turn against us because Jesus didn't. I would love sometime to hear more of the story uh, and find out what Don McLaughlin's wife's old boyfriend did when he first found out what had happened to that big stuffed animal that he sent. When he first heard the whole story, I would like to know how, how did they work that out? How did forgiveness come about? What a, what a beautiful twist to such an awful story at the beginning. And I bet that somehow, somehow, because all the people involved came to be faithful followers of Jesus. I bet that somehow the example of Jesus and all the forgiveness he offers us played a role in the one man forgiving the other. As we share the Lord's Supper, we remember that Jesus loved his enemies, even his betrayer. And he loved even us when we sinned against him. And we dedicate ourselves as we share the Lord's Supper to doing the same because we follow Jesus. The third way that Jesus' example and teachings uh, in this scene um, shape our relationships as we share the Lord's Supper together. Jesus called his followers to serve. He called his followers to serve. When his apostles argued about who was the greatest, Jesus set himself as the example they were to follow. He was unarguably the greatest of them all. Yet he came not to rule with a heavy hand, but to serve. And so he teaches his apostles that the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. And Jesus said this just after he shared the sacred bread and cup that signify his body and his blood given for them and for us on the cross the very next morning. And so the bread and the cup remind us that the one who gave his body and blood to forgive our sins and bring us to God, the one who is our Lord and King and came to us as one who serves, who served us even with his dying breath. So if we share in his body and his blood, we also must serve one another, following his example. As we take the bread and drink from the cup, we ought to think of ourselves as blessed by God 
as people for whom, as Jim pointed out earlier, Jesus has appeared uh, before God in heaven. We also ought to think of ourselves as servants of God and servants to each other, ready to look out for each other's needs where we can, ready to bless and help one another in the name of our Lord who first helped us. And so the Lord's Supper is a, a meal of a sort. It is an act of worship that transforms us, that renews and blesses our relationships as it brings back to our minds the sacrifice and the teachings and the example of Jesus our Lord. Jesus and his apostles ate together. And so as we share the bread and the cup, we should think of ourselves as sharing in a spiritual meal together. We should think of ourselves as joined to one another through Christ, not just to each other in this congregation, but to our brothers and sisters around the world as well. We are one family, one body, through the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus did not hate Judas. And so as we take the bread and the cup, we also ought to have mercy, like Jesus did, toward those who do evil against us. We ought always to treat people better than they deserve, as Jesus did for Judas, as Jesus did for us when he died to become a sacrifice to take away our sin. And Jesus called his followers to serve. And so we who share in the bread and the cup, the body and blood of the Lord, ought also to serve one another. In doing so, we show ourselves to be true followers of Jesus, who first served us and gave his life for us. When we share in the body and blood of Jesus, the way we relate to one another is transformed. Our relationships get better because Jesus transforms how we relate to one another. And our sharing in his body and blood reminds us that we follow him. And therefore, our lives are to be modeled after his life and conformed to obedience to his teachings. Hopefully, the way that you live out your obedience to Jesus this week the way you put these principles in, into practice in your relationships will not have to be as dramatic as that old boyfriend having to forgive the man who stole the stuffed animal he sent and stole his beloved. That would, that would be so hard. But may God so bless us that every time we share the bread and the cup, the body and blood of Jesus, his love his sacrifice will so touch our hearts that we will recommit ourselves to the fellowship, the mercy, and the service to which he has called us and which he modeled for us. May God bless us in this way. May he bless you today and this week. Let's pray together. Our dear God, we honor you for the sacrifice of Jesus our Lord. We honor his body, and we honor his blood. Lord, every time that we share in the body and blood of Jesus, including today, as those physical elements, the bread and the, and the juice, as they enter into our body, Lord, would you also cause to enter into our spirit, into our heart and mind, uh, the love of Christ and the dedication that he had, not only to you, but also uh, to his fellow 
people, even to Judas. Help us, Lord, to grow in fellowship. Help us to grow in mercy. Help us to grow in service to one another. Dear God, this week we have all kinds of things going on uh, in our church. We have some people who are very troubled right now, uh, who, who are just in anguish inside and are calling out to you constantly. We have others who are experiencing time, a time of great peace, and we thank you for that. We have many who are in between somewhere. We have all kinds of troubles coming our way this week, and we have all kinds of blessings for which we are so grateful. Lord, in all of this, be our God and guide us. Remind us of the body and blood of Jesus daily. Remind us, Lord, how we should live and how we, how we should think about ourselves and the people around us because of the body and blood of Jesus. Let our focus always be on him. Bless us in this way this week. Lord, bless all who are here today in person. Bless all who are with us today online. Bless those who will be listening to record the recordings uh, later. Lord, watch over each one of us. Lead us, Lord. Bring us back together all in person uh, here before too long. We pray for your help, and we thank you for the progress that has been made. We look to you daily, dear God, and we entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.